This is, so far, this is the, the world's shortest song service. You all see it's 614 right now? 614, I don't know what that means. We're going to, okay, we're going to preach for a long time is what I was thinking that means. Um, so let's, let's take our uh, Bibles, I almost said our hymnals, let's take our Bibles, go to Second, <laughs> Second Chronicles, and we're going to start in chapter 14. This is great. I, the first time I get to preach up here, and not only do I get a bottle instead of just a cup, but I get like Kit Kat and vanilla things and stuff. This is pretty neat. Um, so Second Chronicles 14, we're going to start there. And uh, why don't we have a, a word of prayer first? Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Lord, I, I ask that you would show us something from your word tonight. I thank you that your word is quick and powerful It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, it can pierce to the dividing asunder of our soul and our spirit and and the joints and marrow. Lord, it it can reveal things in ourselves that we don't see. Lord, I pray that it would do that tonight. Father, what we talk about may, may on the surface at first, may not appear like something that is a struggle, Lord, in this church or in individual hearts. But Father, I I sense in myself... Lord, a pool, and I ask that you would reveal something from your word tonight that will help us and and challenge us. Lord, it would uh, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Lord, I pray that you do that tonight, and I pray that you'd uh, give me clarity of thought and uh, shortness of thought, Lord, and I pray that you would uh, just bless this service. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So 2 Chronicles chapter 14. I don't know if you guys are, are like me. You probably are in this. When you read your Bible... If you've read it for uh, two times or ten times or a hundred times, there are certain stories you get to in the Bible and you, you hope and wish that it's going to be different this time. The way that it's going to end is different this time you read through it, even though you've read it a hundred times. Is anybody like that? You know the ending is bad and you're like, I, it's going to change this time. It's going to be better this time. This, what we're going to talk about tonight is one of those areas when I get to this passage in Scripture, I, I wish and I hope that something is different, and yet I see a bad result in the end. And I want us to look at that tonight. So starting in Second Chronicles 14, we'll start in verse 2. And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God, for he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places and break down the images and cut down the groves and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandment. Also, he took away out of all the cities of Judah, the high places and the images, and the kingdom was quiet before him. And he built fenced cities in Judah, for the land had rest, and he had no war in those years, because the Lord had given him rest. Well, what an amazing time of peace in Israel's history. You look, you read through Chronicles and the, the constant through Kings and Chronicles, the constant up and down with good king, bad king. And you get to this king, it's a really good king. This isn't the king I'm going to focus on first. This is Asa. We know he's one of the shining stars in Israel's history. But this king here, um, if if we continue down, let's look at verse 9. There came out out against them Zerah the Ethiopian with an host of a thousand thousand and three hundred chariots and came unto Marisha. Then Asa, Asa went out against him and they set the battle in array in the valley of Zephathah at Marisha. And Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. 
Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on Thee, and in Thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, Thou art our God, or Thou, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against Thee. Verse 12, so the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, Judah and the Ethiopians fled. We have a great victory for a righteous king here, Asa. But his son is the one I want to focus on for a few minutes here. So his son, if you go to 2 Chronicles 17, so just over a few chapters, 2 Chronicles 17, let's start in verse 1. And Jehoshaphat, his son... Asa's son, reigned in his stead and strengthened himself against Israel. And he placed forces in all the fenced cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa his father had taken. And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the first ways of his father David and sought not unto Balaam, but sought to the Lord God of his father and walked in his commandments and not after the doings of Israel. Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand and all Judah brought to Jehoshaphat presents, and he had riches and honor in abundance. And his heart was lifted up in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he took away the high places and groves out of Judah. Also in the third year of his reign, he sent to his princes, even to Ben-Hael and to Obadiah and to Zechariah and to Nethaniel and to Micaiah to teach in the cities of Judah. And with them, he sent Levites, even Shemaiah and Nethaniah and Zebediah and Asahel and Shemiramoth, and Jehonathan, and Adonijah, and Tobijah, and Tobadonijah, Levites, and with them Elishama, and Jehoram, priests. And they taught in Judah, and had the book of the law of the Lord with them, and went about throughout all the cities of Judah, and taught the people. And the fear of the Lord fell upon all the kingdom of the lands that were round about Judah, so that they made no war against Jehoshaphat. It seems pretty obvious when you read through the, the stories of the kings, God blessed the good, righteous kings, and God punished, and God was against all of the wicked kings. So if you wanted a prosperous kingdom, you knew exactly what to do. Take down the high places, follow the Lord, and yet you have so, so many kings of Israel and of Judah that decided to do wickedly. This is not one of them. This is Jehoshaphat. This is a good king. He had a godly father. He has a good track record. We just read through it. This is a righteous king. And I want to com contrast that. So you ju we just talked about Jehoshaphat and his father Asa. Look at 1 Kings. Go back to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 16. So we're going to see a stark contrast here from what we just read. 1 Kings 16 starting in verse 23. 16.23. In the thirty and first year of Asa, king of Judah, began Omri the, uh, to, to reign over Israel. Twelve years, six years reigned he in Terzah. And he bought the hill Samaria of Shemir for two talents of silver and built on the hill and called the name of the city which he built after the name of Shemir, owner of the hill Samaria. But Omri wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all that were before him. Now, if you know the kings of Israel, you know that Every one of the kings of Israel was wicked up to this point. It said of Omri, he did worse than all that were before him. For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebet, and in his sin wherewith he made Israel to sin, to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger with their vanities. So you have someone who had said of the Lord, this, is, this king is worse than all the kings that were before him, 
and all of the kings before him were evil. So if you're in verse six, first uh, Kings 16, go to verse 28, verse 28 of the same, same chapter. So Omri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria and Ahab, his son reigned in his stead. And in the 30 and eighth year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 20 and two years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. It was said of his dad, he was the worst king yet. And now it's said of Ahab, he's the worst king yet, including the worst king yet, which was Omri. So the worst of the worst is Ahab right here you see a stark contrast between Asa, Jehoshaphat, Omri, Ahab. Uh, look at, um, we saw in verse 30, yeah, above all that were before him. So go back to Second Chronicles. And I'm going to have you turning a good bit tonight, so keep your fingers nimble. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 18 again. And look at, you're going to see, what I noticed here, and I, I read this a, a number of years back, and I actually, I started, I started preparing this, this sermon, and the Lord kind of shifted the direction, because I, I had taught out of this to the teens, I don't know, six years ago or something, and I was thinking the Lord would kind of direct similarly, and he kind of changed the direction in this one, and a word stood out to me that I'd not really taken much notice of before. Second Chronicles 18, we're going to start in verse 1, now Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance and joined affinity with Ahab. The word that jumped out to me that links the stories of this righteous king and his father and this wicked king and his father, the word that's used that links these two stories is the word affinity. And I was, I was captivated by that because every time I read this story, I can fast forward in my mind and I know what happens with Jehoshaphat and all of that as a result of some of this, this, this uh, linking up with, with Ahab. But in my mind, I keep hoping, Lord, this, it'll turn out different when I read it this time because it makes no sense that Jehoshaphat has affinity with Ahab. It just it boggles your mind that these two opposing stories join in this place. Verse 1, he joined affinity with Ahab. And verse 2, and, there were, and after certain years, he went down to Ahab to Samaria. And Ahab killed sheep and oxen for him in abundance and for the people that he had with him and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth Gilead. And Ahab, king of Israel, said unto Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Wilt thou go with me to Ramoth Gilead? And he answered him, I am as thou art, and my people as thy people, and we will be with thee in the war. In the war. I am as thou art, and my people as thy people. Does, does it seem like he was the same as Ahab? Does it seem like the children of Judah were the same as the children of Israel at this time? The, the children of Judah, it told us, Jehoshaphat had broken down the high places. He had commanded them to worship the Lord. That's the opposite with Ahab. We know the ministry of Elijah and Elisha and, all, and those prophets that had to kill the prophets of Baal that were serving Ahab. So you have these completely different kings ruling in completely different ways, and yet Jehoshaphat says to this wicked king, I'm, I'm as you are, my people as you, as, are as your people, and we're with you in the war. This was, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to turn back to First, uh, First Kings. If you're quicker than I am, you're, you're welcome to turn back there, but First Kings 22, 
you notice something interesting here. Not only did, Je- did Ahab ask Jehoshaphat to join him in this war, but 1 Kings 22, verse 2 said, And it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. This is recounting the same story. Verse 3, And the king of Israel said unto his servants, Know ye that Ramoth in Gilead is ours, and we be still, and take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said unto Jehoshaphat, So he was just talking to his own men. Ahab is saying to his own servants, this is, Ramoth and Gilead is ours. And then he turns to Jehoshaphat, Wilt thou go with me to battle to Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, my horses as thy horses. So I want you to, to file away in your mind, we'll come back to this later. This isn't even Jehoshaphat's war. This is not his battle. It's not, Ramoth and Gilead does not belong to Judah. It belong, it's supposed to belong to Israel. And yet Jehoshaphat agrees to fight in a battle that's not his battle with a king that has nothing in common with Jehoshaphat. But Jehoshaphat sees them as, as, this, as the same. Uh, back, in, back in 2 Chronicles, I hope you held your place there, 2 Chronicles chapter 18, uh, verse 4, we read, And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Therefore the king of Israel gathered together of prophets 400 men and said unto them, Shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? It was Jehoshaphat's idea to ask counsel of the Lord. Ahab calls 400 of his false prophets, asks counsel of them. And after hearing their counsel, Jehoshaphat says, Is there somebody else that we could ask that's actually a prophet of the Lord? And we we know what happens. I I won't read the rest of the story here, but we know that the prophets say something different from what the prophet of the Lord says. So the, I, I want you to see the contrast between these two men, between their two kingdoms. And yet the Bible told us in Second Chronicles 18 that Jehoshaphat joined affinity with Ahab. And I think the scripture is going to play this out, but a, 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 just a definition that I came up with based on the, the different passages that we read. A definition for that joined affinity that we saw, saw in, Second, uh, in verse, chapter 18, verse 1. A union or attraction based on supposed shared qualities or interests. So union, you see the word affinity is, is preceded by joined. So joined affinity. So that idea is there's a union happening there. Jehoshaphat agreed to go to battle with Ahab. So there's a union and I, we'll, we'll see this in one of the other passages we'll look at, but I think it's also, it's a union or it's an attraction or maybe both. And it's, it's based on supposed similarities. Jehoshaphat thinks that his men are as, he, as, as Ahab's men. He thinks that he's the same as Ahab. But it's a supposed, it's a supposed similarity. So ch- uh, chapter 19, verse 1. Chapter 19, verse 1. And Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned to his house in peace to Jerusalem, and Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. Shouldest thou help the ungodly and hate them that, and love them that hate the Lord? So we saw that God had wrath against Jehoshaphat for this affinity that he had with Ahab. Um, and there's some consequences to this. Um, if you stay with me, I, I know maybe we're, we're just kind of setting the stage for this, but we're going to look at a few other places that this word affinity comes into play, and then I want to tie it into what I believe is how it affects us today. So 
Second uh, Chronicles or Second uh, Kings back there. We're going to read the consequences of this affinity, of this union that happened between Jehoshaphat and Ahab. Second Kings chapter eight. Second Kings eight. And if we see in verse sixteen, Second Kings eight sixteen. And in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, being then king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, began to reign. Thirty and two years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem, and he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, and did as the house of Ahab, for the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Where do you suppose he met the daughter of Ahab? When, when Jehoshaphat joined affinity with Ahab. So some of the consequences, not only did God pronounce wrath on Jehoshaphat because of this union, but we see that years later, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, he marries the daughter of the, of the opposite. You know, the, at times, Judah and Israel were fighting against each other. On top of the fact that one was wicked and the other was often righteous. You have the king, you have the king's son, Jehoram, marrying the daughter of this wicked king. In addition to that, you see back uh, down in verse 25, that same chapter, 25, in the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, did Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, begin to reign. So this is Jehoshaphat's grandson. Two and twenty years old was, was Ahaziah when he began to reign, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Athaliah, the daughter of Omri, king of Israel, and he walked in the way of the house of Ahab and did evil in the sight of the Lord, as did the house of Ahab, for he was the son-in-law of the house of Ahab. Okay, so we just looked at two kings, and we just saw some consequences from their, join, their joining together, their linking up. We saw that the son of Jehoshaphat married Ahab's daughter, and we see that the grandson of Jehoshaphat is still impacted and is still a wicked king, as a result of the decision that Jehoshaphat did. So there's, three, there's two additional times that the word affinity is used in the Bible, and none of them are good. I want us to look quickly at some of these. Go to 1 Kings, chapter, uh, 1 Kings and we're going to go to chapter 3. And I, I almost did what I do with the teens. So I, I get partway through with the teens, and sometimes I say, if you all need to stand up and get the blood flowing again so you don't fall asleep. Uh, I know it's a Sunday night. I know the, the song service was so short, and we got right into the preaching, and maybe you've settled into a comfortable place, and the, it's warm in here perhaps, and you're just about to fall asleep. Don't, don't do that yet. Stay with me for a little bit here. We're going to uh, 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 3. And you, you're going to see a second use of this word affinity. 1 Kings chapter 3. And Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh king of Egypt and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had made an end of building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem round about. Second uh, Chronicles, you don't have to turn here, but in Second Chronicles it tells us that, a, that Solomon had horses and linen yarn brought out of Egypt. Now, we know, we know all of the types of Egypt. I'm not going to rehearse that again, but we know that Egypt is, is a place that God never wanted Israel to go back to. He called them out. He rescued them from Egypt, and Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, and he took Pharaoh's daughter, and then we find him bringing linen yarn and bringing uh, horses from Egypt. In 1 Kings, if you go down to verse 3, we see that Solomon loved the Lord, 
walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. You know this story about God asking Solomon, What do you want? That happens after the Bible told us that Solomon joined, that Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh. When Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, I think he saw it maybe as an innocent thing. And the Lord still tells us afterwards, he is walking with the Lord. The Lord comes to him and and gives him a blank check and says, what do you want from me? And Solomon answers in a wise and in a righteous way. That's all after this affinity starts with Pharaoh. But if you go to 1 Kings 11, 1 Kings 11, one uh, one of these other chapters, one of these other passages that when I read it, I think... Lord, this was going so well. Couldn't this have ended differently? 1 Kings 11, starting in verse 1. But King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods." Solomon clave unto these in love, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass that when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father, then, Solomon, then did Solomon build an high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he kept not that which the Lord commanded. So... I think that we could probably safely say that the affinity that Solomon had with, a, with Pharaoh and t- in, in taking his daughter probably started the downward trend that eventually... We, we saw that Solomon loves many strange li- women together with the daughter of Pharaoh. I think the daughter of Pharaoh was, was the first piece that started him down that path. And he had all of those wives. And by the end of his life, he's setting up high places. We saw Jehoshaphat tearing down high places... Solomon is setting up high places for all of these abominations for the nations around him. Where did it start? I think it started with the affinity that he had for Pharaoh. So we saw that Jehoshaphat joined affinity with Ahab. We see that Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh. And now go to Ezra. Ezra chapter 9. Ezra chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 1. Now when these things were done, the princes came to me saying, the princes came to Ezra, saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers hath been chief in this trespass. 
Go down to verse uh, 10. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken thy commandments, which thou hast commanded by thy servants, the prophets, saying, saying, the land unto which ye go to possess it is an unclean land with the filthiness of the people of the lands, with their abominations which have filled it from from one end to another with their uncleanness. Now therefore give not your daughters unto their sons, neither take their daughters unto your sons, nor seek their peace or their wealth forever, that ye may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that is come upon us, this is the children of Israel going back after captivity. They're allowed to go back by God's grace. They're allowed to go back to the land that they had been taken captive from. And verse 13 After all that is come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great trespass, seeing seeing that thou, our God, hast punished us less than our iniquities deserve and hast given us such deliverance as this, should we again break thy commandments and join in affinity with the people of these abominations? Wouldest not thou be angry with us till thou hadst consumed us, so that there should be no remnant nor escaping, O Lord God of Israel? Thou art righteous, for we remain yet escaped as it is this day. Behold, we are before thee in our trespasses, for we cannot stand before thee because of this. Ezra says of the people, we've joined affinity. We, we have joined affinity with the people of this, of this land. All three of these uses, Jehoshaphat, a righteous king, joining affinity with Ahab, a wicked king, Solomon, a righteous king up to that point, making affinity with Pharaoh, who God had said, you're not to go back to them. And the people of this land, as the people of Israel, as they go back to, to the land of promise, joining affinity with those same nations that God had told them when Joshua was taking them into the land, don't mingle with them. Don't mingle with them because you're going to become just like them. They did mingle. God allowed them to be taken captive. And after all of the time that they were captive, they come back to Canaan and they join in affinity again. When I, when I thought about this, I thought, okay, what is, what is the application for us? I, I noticed some dangers for myself and for, for the church, the church of today. Not just this body. And I, I, you know, in preparing this, I wasn't thinking of specific, specific things that apply to this local body. But I've been really, at, at times I've been informed and I've, I've watched some uh, documentaries and I've, I've seen things about churches that exist in this country or in other countries and some of the, some of the major scandals that have happened and different ways that the church is moving and I see some dangers that I want, I want us to look at quickly here. Before I get to that, if you go to the New Testament, to Mark 16. Are you all still with me? Do you need to stand? Do you need to stand like I do with the teens? I have them turn left. I have them look backwards. Um, if you need that, I won't, I won't judge if you just stand up in the middle of the service. So uh, Mark chapter 16. Mark 16. And I want to, I want to say something up front to... Uh, I want to say something up front. Maybe I should just say it instead of, you know, giving you, <laughs> giving you an example. So Mark chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 15. And it says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Jesus Christ commanded his disciples, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Luke 19, verse 10. 
Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which, is lo- which was lost. Go to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Let's start there. 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Lastly, uh, just one chapter over, you're in Second, uh, Second Corinthians, look at verse chapter 6. Second Corinthians 6.18. Second Corinthians 6.18 is what I wrote down here. It's not, what, it's not the context we need. So that last one, what, am I, what do I want to start by saying? I, I just contra- contrasted these people in the Old Testament that joined affinity. And I want to say, right off the bat, we know that Christ sent us to win the lost. We know that we're to preach the gospel. We know that it is our job as Christians to reconcile the lost. And you can't reach the lost without going to the lost. You, as, as Pastor has spoken many, many times about, you need, to be, you need to be meeting lost people. You need to be conversing with lost people. You need, to be, uh, you need to be trying in every way you can to present the gospel to the lost. And, and that's clear, and I didn't, want, I didn't want to confuse that, so I wanted to start with that. But I, wanna, I want us to look at 2 Corinthians, um, 2 Corinthians 6, and let's start in verse 14. And you may still be there, 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. We're, we are... We are sent into the world, and I, I, I forgive me, I, I mistyped a, a, a book here, and so we're in Second, Quran, or Second Corinthians 6.14, um, and, and we want to be in the place where we're not of the world, but we are, uh, boy, how did I miss that? Uh, verse 17 Come out from among them. No, this is Jesus Christ, and, and it's in one of the, the other references we're going to look at, but it's Jesus Christ telling, praying for his disciples. And he said, John 17. Let's, let's go there and see if Christine is steering us correctly. John 17. Nothing as humbling as misprinting a book. I mean, it may be a chapter you can kind of get away from, but when you're in the wrong book, you just can't find your way through. So... Um, Uh, 
1714, yes. So that's what I intended to write. So John 1714, I have given them thy word and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. So you notice in verse 14, we're not of the world. So I know, I know maybe you've, you, uh, to, to reiterate what we're coming from, we're coming from the Old Testament. We're coming from this word, this use of the word affinity. And I, and I wanted, I feel that this affinity is something that I sense in my own life. I sense an affinity towards the world today. And the, Jesus Christ said, when he's praying for his disciples, they're not of the world. They're not the same as the world. Remember the definition that, that, I, that I gave you based on what I'm seeing here is it's a supposed, so it's a union or an attraction based on supposed qualities that you share with somebody else. And what I'm, what I'm purporting is that I find myself thinking that I share qualities sometimes with this world that I don't share. And I see myself joining in affinity, if not... In, if, if only in my mind, sometimes joining affinity with this world. And Jesus Christ said, you're not of this world, but I'm sending you into the world. And we just talked about, we are sent into this world. We are to reach the lost. We are to befriend them. Jesus Christ, we'll see in, in a few of the chapters here that we'll look at, um, Jesus Christ loved the lost. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus Christ was unashamed to, to eat with publicans and sinners, and he was ridiculed for it. Jesus Christ was constantly berated by the Pharisees because he spent time with the people that no one else wanted to spend time with, and he did it in order to reconcile the loss to himself. We are to do that. We are to go and reconcile the loss to ourselves. But I think, I, I, I think if we're honest, we may find in ourselves, and we will, we will see if you look Globally, at, at what many churches today are doing, we will see that people are, are seeing supposed similarities to the world and are joining affinity with them. Similar to what Jehoshaphat did with Ahab. He had no business being with Ahab. The stories don't mix. Solomon had no reason to be with Pharaoh. Ezra, when he's talking about the children of Israel, they had already been punished for the sin that they were doing, and yet they went back and joined affinity with the people of the land. And so, believers, today, as we look at, as we look at the world around us, do you sense in yourselves any bit of affinity for the world? Do you sense in yourself a similarity between you and the world? Our mission is to reconcile men to God, but it is not to assimilate into or to join the culture and seek approval from them. We're not to, we're not to seek approval from the culture. And this is, this is where I struggle because who doesn't want to be popular? Who doesn't want to fit in when you go in public? I do. But as Christians, we are to reach the lost, but we're not to become like the lost. And that's what Jehoshaphat did. Jehoshaphat's son and grandson reaped the, reaped the repercussions of the decision that he made. We are, we're, we are to, we're not to join into the culture. Um, Second Corinthians, and I hope, I hope I wrote this one down. Now I'm going to be wary of all of my references from here on, but Second Corinthians, we were, we were in Second Corinthians. I feel like this is the third or fourth time I wrote this one down, so copy and paste was not my friend. Um, Second Corinthians chapter six, let's see if, 
Uh, so we said, be ye not unequally. We, re- we read part of this already, or maybe all of it. So be ye not unequally yoked. That idea of yoked is joining together. Joining together. Two, two entities, maybe more, working in the same direction towards a similar goal. Two oxen pulling in the plow together in the same direction for the same cause. Jesus said, don't be yoked together unequally with the lost. And then you see, you see a little bit later in that passage, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Actually, verse 15, what concord hath Christ with Belial? What part he that hath he that believeth with an infidel? Uh, earlier in uh, verse 14, what communion hath light with darkness? Communion. There's that idea again of working together, that union. You have yoke, you have union, communion. So John 15 is where we're going to go next. We, we are not to have communion or shared effort together with the world. John 15, verse 15, or verse 18. John 15, 18. John 15, 18. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world... But I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. I felt that I needed to preface that because I didn't want it to come across that I'm saying we should keep the world at an arm's distance. You can't reach someone from an arm's distance. You can't affect them. You can't reconcile them to God if you're not willing to have a conversation with them. But that's different than joining in affinity. That is different than asking or seeking approval from the culture. Uh, So in John 15 here, verse 18, we saw that the world hated Jesus Christ. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. You know what I I often ask myself? If ever ever I'm making a decision where I want the world to like me in an area, why would I want the world to like me? If the world is okay with everything that I'm doing, I'm probably doing something wrong. Would you agree with that? If, If the world has no problem with the music you're listening to, Maybe there's something wrong with the music you're listening to. If the world, if, if the world and, and I know I'm going to step on some toes or maybe say some things in a way that could be better said. If the world, if, if a lost person can walk in here and, you know, the, the, the common phrase that I've, that I've heard for the last decade or two is come as you are. If the world can come as they are and leave as they are and never be rubbed the wrong way or be uh, uh, offended by the scripture, then I, I fear that I'm not doing something right. I, fe- I fear that if, if it's come as you are, leave as you are, what is the benefit? <laughs> so this affinity that, that I feel in myself sometimes, I'm seeking the world's approval, I'm seeking approval from the culture, and Jesus Christ said, if you were of the world, the world would love you. The world loves people just like them. And so if they have some, if they have some uh, grievances against, against the way that you do things, that's maybe, I, I'm not saying that you should take pride in offending people. That, that's, not, that's not helpful, I don't think. But if the world can come and never receive any offense or any correction, isn't the word of God profitable for reproof and correction and instruction? Several of those things are things I don't enjoy. 
Not every one of them. Instruction, okay, sometimes I take instruction okay, as long as it's somebody much older than me. I take instruction all right. But most of those things kind of rub you the wrong way. So the, the affinity that we have for the world, we, we're not seeking approval from the culture. Um, a temptation for believers today is to be more concerned with whether the world accepts them than whether God is pleased with them. Um, there, there's this one, and forgive me that it's, it's fresh in my mind because there's a documentary I've been, I've been watching about a very prominent megachurch in, in our country and some scandals that, that happened as a result of that. And through all of this, through all of, the, uh, all of the discussion about what happened, there's almost nothing, there may actually be nothing at all said about what God thinks about the sin. It's what does culture think about this? That, it, that was shocking to me. The whole time I'm thinking, okay, when are you going to say, well, the Bible says this? When are you going to say, this is wrong according to God? When are we at all seeking God's approval? Isn't it a church? <laughs> it's a church where we're supposed to be preaching God's word, and yet all you're talking about with this scandal is, man, you, the culture just can't trust this person anymore. What about what God thinks? So if, if, every, if I am more focused, and, I, and I'm going to try and keep this on myself as much as possible because I'm not, this is not something I'm seeing in this local congregation, but I, sen- I sense the tendencies in myself. If I'm more concerned whether the world accepts me than what, and, and, and is able to forgive any, any sins that I would commit, if I'm more concerned about that, then what does God think about my sin? I think about the, the messages pastor has been preaching about David. David sinned. I mean, we know he sinned against Uriah. We know he sinned against Bathsheba. But when David prays, he said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. He was concerned about what he did against God first and foremost. And yet I, I, I feel that many times today we're concerned about what is it? Okay, did I, am I okay with what I just did here? I know, I know maybe God's not, but is everybody else okay? And so the, the church is looking around at the culture to see if, all right, is it okay if I go this far? And as long as the culture is okay with them still, they don't worry about where God is. Um, so you, you, don't, you don't build large churches by going against the culture. You do it by joining them, right? If you want a crowd, you don't say all of the things against the culture. You join the culture. And then you get crowds and crowds of people. Um, and... There are topics. There are topics that we could discuss, and, and I don't think we need to. And, and for sake of time, I won't bring them up. But you, if you want, I mean, there there are strategies of ways to build big churches, and I and I appreciate. Um, I wasn't really prepared to talk about this, but I, I appreciate that our pastor is not concerned primarily about having a a full house. He's concerned about preaching the word of God. And, and I understand that you preach the Word of God, and there are people from all different parts, you know, lost, saved. There are people that maybe don't agree with what's being said and find other places to go. But I appreciate that it's not about making sure that every seat in this auditorium is filled. I, I know the way that you could fill every seat in this auditorium. We just talked about it. You join the culture, you, you bring the culture into the church, and you'll get every seat filled, and you'll have folding chairs all along the back. So First uh, Corinthians 1 before I get myself into too much trouble, let's go to 1 Corinthians 1. And uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. The cross of Christ is foolish 
and it's offensive to other people. I, it's been said before, I don't want to offend people because of my personality, because of the, the approach that I use in witnessing to somebody. But if somebody is offended by what I'm saying that is scriptural, I'm, I, I'm supposed to be okay with that. The cross is foolish and offensive to people, as are other things that this book says. Um, so I, I don't know if, if maybe you've seen some of this before, but doesn't it sort of seem like churches... That, that churches may be a little bit of a social club at times where people come together to share common interests with each other. Now, I share a lot of things in common with you all as I look around here. I do, but that's the primary thing that we share in common is that Jesus Christ has redeemed me from my sin and he's done the same thing for you. So when we come into the church, if, if the, the, focus, the focus of what we're preaching or that we're talking about is, is social issues is uh, what your weekend, how your weekend has gone, how your finances are doing, all of those sorts of things that, that are okay to talk about. If that is the focus of everything, then, then it's more of a social club than it is coming to be reproved and rebuked and corrected and instructed by the Word of God. Um, so I, I have a few, and, and this is unlike me. It's very unlike me to, to have written things out and read them. I norm, The teens know I'm normally like right down in front of them uncomfortably down in front of them. So there, there, were, there was so much on my mind as I prepared this, and, and so I wrote some things down that I, that I wanted to, you know, present in a way that was clear. Um, when God was warning, we talked about this a minute ago, when God was warning Israel as Joshua was prepared to take them into the land of, of promise, what basically God said was don't join them or you'll become like them. Don't join the nations of, of, in that area or you'll become just like them. Do you agree that's, that's what God was warning them against? Do you know what? I, I, I sense maybe today's mantra in, in, in a large sense. Join them so that you can reach them. Join them so that you can reach them. Become just like them so that they will accept you, so that, so that you're popular with them or so that you have an easy end to, to witness to them. And, and I agree that knowing someone and sharing, sharing some things in common can give you a foot in the door and can, can lead to opportunities to present the gospel. But if you join the culture so that you can win the culture or, or reach the culture, what are you trying to reach them with? You, the world's agendas are not the church's agendas. You remember we, we said that it wasn't even Jehoshaphat's war. Why was he going to fight and possibly lose men in a battle that was Israel's battle? It wasn't his war. Now, what I'm going to say, I hope, I hope is taken in the right context, but the social issues that, that are preached by so many churches today, the, the social issues are, are, are not the primary focus of the Word of God. Reconciling lost men to God is what the primary focus of the Bible is. And... And it's okay, I understand that everybody has their opinions and has beliefs based on the Word of God for social issues, but, but if you're not presenting the gospel, and, so, and some of, you know, a lot of this is coming up as a result of some of these, these things that I've been uh, finding out about or maybe, maybe doing research on a little bit to, to understand what, where our world is today. I feel, like, I feel like just in my four decades of life, the church seems to have changed drastically from what I remember as a kid. And, and so I see that 
there, there's a focus on cultural issues and a, and a deviation from the message of reconciling people to God. The church is not a platform to promote political or social change. It's the vehicle God uses to promote a spiritual transformation. God uses the church to spiritually transform the lives of those that we are trying to win. And those that have trusted Jesus Christ, God wants to continue the transformation process in you, and he uses the local body of Christ to do that. That's the, that's the, the, the role, that is the purpose of the church. In an effort to reach the world, I fear that we've forgotten that our purpose isn't to make them feel comfortable in their sin, but to reconcile them to God through Jesus Christ. And if you're making people feel comfortable in what they're doing, when God says it's not right, when God condemns something, you should love the sinner, but you still have to condemn the sin that God condemns. And I, I want to... I, I know this is maybe maybe a little bit scatterbrained. In my mind, you know, things things tie so tightly together. And as I'm presenting them, I hope that you see the connection that we've made here from Jehoshaphat made a joined affinity with Ahab. Against, against all sense, Jehoshaphat joined affinity with Ahab. Solomon joined, made affinity with Pharaoh. The people of Israel joined affinity with the nations around them. And we see the negative in all three of those contexts. The word affinity is used, and it's negative, 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 and we see terrible results from that. And then we look at today, and, and the, if we are to join in affinity with the culture, and we are to make their approval more important than God's approval, we're, we're off track. And, and again, I'm not preaching at this local body, but maybe these are some things that are just in my heart. And I look at the teens and I, and I see what they are going to be faced with. And I see what they're currently faced with in their schools and in their friend groups, what they're currently faced with on social media. And, and even, even religious people, what the teenagers are going to be hearing is social, all social issues, political issues. They're going to be hearing very little about reconciling people to, to Jesus Christ. And, and that is maybe what has stirred some of this in my heart. And if we, if we look lastly, the last passage is Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. And we'll start in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but, it should be, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For we are members, verse 30, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Jesus Christ intends to sanctify and cleanse us in order to present us to himself without spot or wrinkle but holy and without blemish. And my challenge to you tonight is to, is to seek to please God more than seek the approval of this world. We're, the Lord, the Lord is, is going to judge us for what we've done in our bodies on this earth, and he's given us a gospel to preach to every creature on the planet. And it's going to offend some people, but we're not seeking their approval. 
We're seeking the approval of God, who we will stand before at the judgment seat of Christ. So church, I, I beg you, and teenagers, I, I beg you that you seek God's approval in your life and for your decisions and for the priorities that you, that you endeavor towards. Seek God's approval first and, and don't concern yourself with whether the world is, is okay with you. Don't concern yourself with all, don't primarily concern yourself with all of the social issues that are being preached. First and foremost, focus on God. I appreciate what Pastor Caleb preached about this morning because I thought he preached on love, on affections. And I really believe that this ties into what he said because what you have an affinity for, you will eventually have an affection for. And teens, if your affinity, adults, if our affinity is for the world, our affection will ultimately be for the world. So I'm going to close with that tonight. Let's, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, Lord, there were so many things that I, I, hope, I hope were conveyed in a way that challenges our hearts and our minds. Father, I know maybe this was as probably more directed to me than anyone else because, Lord, I, I see... I see a draw from this world. Lord, I see how the world lures us. Lord, the flesh, the devil, the world. Lord, I pray that, I pray that our eyes would be on Jesus Christ. I pray that, as Paul said, that we would press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that, that our approval that we're seeking would be coming from Jesus Christ, from God the Father, not from this world. Lord, I pray that we would have a sincere desire to reconcile men to God through Jesus Christ. I pray that we would endeavor that. Lord, I pray that we would, we would put forth every effort to reconcile men to God. But Lord, I pray that we wouldn't join in the sins that our culture is condoning right now. Lord, I pray that we would stand against that tide. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us in spirit and in mind. Lord, that we would have knowledge of your word, that we would have the, the, the confidence with the, with the strength of the Holy Spirit to stand against what our culture is, is preaching at us, what our culture is trying to press for our young people, for, for the Lord, for us as adults. Lord, I pray that we would stand against that. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd convict and maybe challenge and maybe just uh, strengthen the resolve of us, Lord, as we seek to please you. Lord, I pray that uh, this, this hasn't come across as condemning. Lord, if it's condemning anyone, it's condemning myself first. Lord, I pray that, uh, that you would accomplish a work in our nation and, Lord, in the world that would bring Jesus Christ honor and glory. Lord, that you would reconcile as many to you as, as, Lord, as possible. Lord, we would love that. I ask all of this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.